0: Last uh, last opportunity to sign up for the men's retreat this Friday. Just a quick uh, 24-hour get-together with a bunch of guys. We're going to have some good food. We're going to have some uh, great speaker. Brian Hope is going to be speaking and challenging us in areas of what it means to serve God as a man and serve our families and serve the church. And so I'd really encourage you to come. Uh, if, you're, if you're coming, great. Find another guy that you don't think might be signed up. And uh, let's, let's bring them with us. We're going to have a meaningful time. Great time of uh, connecting with other guys as well. So I want to encourage those of you who are on the fence on that or have just been putting it off. So uh, I want to also let you know before we get into our, our message this morning, we're going to start a new series called, Yeah, But, it's for people who, have, who, who like Jesus but still have questions. We're going to do that in a minute. But before we do, I want to uh, just give you a little bit of a report. I went to uh, Pastor Don Leach's funeral yesterday in Salem, Oregon, and many of you uh, don't know who Pastor Don is, and some some of us do. Pastor Don was the pastor here, Don and Carol and his wife, uh, pastored here for uh, about 15 years from the late 1970s to the early 1990s. Don retired in 1991, and so he pastored Trinity during the 1980s. Uh, you could basically summarize it and pl- you know, plus a little bit on, on both sides. And when Don came to Trinity in the late 70s, uh, Trinity was had was uh, really uh, had been a very divided church. It just experienced in the 70s a big church split that uh, still has reverberations even today, and uh, over a building, over a building program, and the church split. And uh, Don came at the end of that difficult time and brought a lot of healing. I mean, he was such a great, loving, caring shepherd. And he just uh, loved this church into health, and the church was able to finish its building and pay off its mortgage. And during the 1980s, a bunch of couples, uh, you know, just a number of couples came forward and uh, s- stepped up to the challenge of world missions and ministry. And so during John's ministry of just 15 years, there are, there's a whole path of uh, people who... Uh, accepted the call to serve as mission missionaries, and they're serving around the world, men and women uh, serving in churches in meaningful ways, guys serving as pastors as a result of his influence. And so uh, it was a privilege for me to be able to go to his funeral. What he did for me, those are all the things that he did before me, but what he did for me, uh, when I came to Trinity, uh, I was 31, all right, I was 31 years old, and uh, uh, there were Things that needed to change. We we're going to move some things in a different direction, and uh, the church uh, really needed. Don had been gone for about a year and a half or so, and uh, the church needed some changes. And what Don did is, he did something that most pastors will say, "Oh, don't ever, don't ever let this happen in your church." He stayed in the church when I came, and often you'll hear, "Oh, the pastor who's been there for a while, he should never stay when the new pastor comes." And Don stayed, but Don was a, you know, it can go, it can be a, an asset or a liability to have your the previous pastor still in your church. And with Don, it was an asset because he helped people calm down and uh, be patient and accept my leadership over time. And he really served in that way, even though I think there are probably some days that he thought, you know, what have I done? <laughs> what? And, uh, but he really really helped people process all that, and just played an important role, so he was here for about ten years, my first ten years here and he 's been uh, then he served in interim ministries in the whole valley and in Washington and oregon and uh, in his later years just just great, and his wife, Carolyn, if you know her, super so just really super I got to go there, went to the funeral, got to honor this man ninety one and almost ninety one and married almost 60 years, or maybe almost almost 70 years, I think, almost 70 years, and uh, saw people from Trinity's years gone by, and uh, met with the pastor. I uh, got to meet again, greet uh, the pastor who had pastored here in the 1960s, who's still alive. All the pastors, Pastor Don, so Trinity was started in 1954, right? All the pastors are still alive. Pastor Don was the first one to die. And uh, so, anyway, I got to see one of them, and uh, anyway, on behalf of this church, I represented you on Pastor Don's behalf, and got to say a few words for Trinity, and let Carolyn, his wife, know, and his family know the impact that they had in Walla Walla. So, I wanted you to know about that, and if you want to pray for Carolyn Leach, that'd be a great thing to do. Can you imagine spending your life 70 years with someone, and then all of a sudden, one day, boom, it's just, it's over. So you could pray for her. She's a super lady. Well, today we're going to start this uh, four Sundays, four-week conversation called Yeah, But. And it's really for, for uh, those people who like Jesus but still have questions. And that is certainly a lot of people. Uh, there are, it is common in our culture for people to love Jesus Jesus has a very positive reputation he's very he's admired and people love his teachings and they love his his uh, reputation you know and 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 uh, Jesus is doing well but but there's a lot of baggage that comes with him people people associate with Jesus a lot of other things that that they just can't get past and what we want to do is we want to talk about some of that baggage over the next four weeks these are real questions and they deserve real answers. So we're going to be addressing these, these things. And today we're just going to dive right in. We're going to get, we're going to get down and dirty right away with uh, something you hear a lot from people who like Jesus. They say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like his people. All right, I like Jesus, but Christians are hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Uh, this objection can take a number of forms, All right. It could take a number of forms. Uh, I don't like Christians because they're hypocrites. Uh, I don't like Christians because they're inconsistent. I don't like uh, Christians don't practice what they preach. Or sometimes it just takes the form of Christians are weird. They're kind of oddballs, and uh, they get on my nerves. And uh, it's that kind of thing. Sometimes this objection comes from high-profile situations. You know, a, a prominent pastor falls. Or he doesn't just fall, but he falls and fails miserably in front of everybody. And you hear about that. And sometimes uh, it's uh, public like that. It's a pastor or a politician, maybe a politician who led with his faith, made his faith a big deal. And part of his appeal to his constituency was how good of a Christian he was. And then he makes a mess of things. That actually just happened a couple of weeks ago in Alabama. Maybe you read about the governor of Alabama, who was a prominent Christian. Now, we've never heard of him up here, you know, wrong corner of the country, but governor of Alabama, and he led with his faith, and he was a deacon in his Baptist church while he was also governor. And uh, he just resigned this week for having an affair with uh, someone on his staff who he actually had met in his church, all right? so big mess, and uh, sometimes people have that uh, come by this objection because they hear of someone prominent who failed you know and, and that 's just more fuel for the this objection, but sometimes this objection is not uh, because of something prominent that took place it 's something because of something very personal that took place I mean this objection is different than some of the others we 're going to look at because uh, people who, who have this issue, if you have this issue, you didn't, you didn't go to college and have a university professor point this out to you, right? That's not where your faith fell apart because you had a university prof say, Christianity is not true because they're hypocrites. This could be because of your own experience. Maybe you had a pastor who acted in hypocritical ways, or uh, maybe your parents uh, you know, this isn't the kind of situation that I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a Christian who's a hypocrite. This is a more personal kind of encounter with people that, that we meet and they, they uh, say they represent Jesus, but they don't seem to do a very good job at that. So the question we're going to address this morning is, uh, is it true that Christians are hypocrites? Is it true? And if it's true, does that mean that Christianity is not true? If uh, the presence of hypocrites, if if I can find hypocrites in the church, uh, then, then does that mean I don't have to follow Jesus? If I can find flaws in Jesus' followers, then uh, then maybe I don't need to follow Jesus myself, right? And that's what we're going to talk about. And I think first, what we need is a definition. What is a hypocrite? So you look up hypocrite in the dictionary, and you get two shades of meaning. The first... Shade of meaning is this: a hypocrite is a person who consciously pretends to have virtues that he or she does not actually possess. All right, so we understand that someone who pretends they they are faking their morality; they pretend to have virtues they don't actually have. The second uh, definition in the dictionary is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs. That's a hypocrite: a person who has beliefs and doesn't. It doesn't consistently follow them. And so uh, those are the two definitions, and they're a pretty important part of this whole conversation. So we're going to take the first one first. When the dictionary lists multiple definitions, the first one is the primary one. All right? So we're going to take the primary one first. That makes sense. A person who consciously pretends, consciously pretends to have virtues that he or she does not actually possess. That's this first definition of a hypocrite. And if this is your problem with Christianity, that, that uh, Christians are people who consciously pretend to have qualities that they don't possess, then uh, you are in good company. If this is your beef with the church, uh, and, and this is your beef, you, you don't like people who pretend to be something that, that you're not, then you are in good company because Jesus had a problem with this too. Jesus had a problem with this kind of behavior, and Jesus hated hypocrisy. He hated it. About the only time you see Jesus get mad is when he is in the presence of people who are faking their morality. They are pretending to be something that they are not. They are trying to demonstrate in outward behavior qualities that they do not possess. They're just faking it, and that made Jesus mad that 's when Jesus gets mad in jesus day there was a religious caste system. There were these people at the top there are a, a sect called the Pharisees, and then experts in the law of, of the, the religious law and they were kind of the the lawyers the religious lawyers of the day, and they made sure everybody minded their p 's and q 's when it came to uh, the worship system that uh, uh, the, that God had set up for Israel, and they took it way beyond what God had set up, and to all these external rules, and and everything was about this religious caste system. And these people at the top, basically, Jesus, Jesus uh, found them out and called them for what they were. They were hypocrites. They pretended to have qualities that they didn't actually possess. They pretended to have a level of morality that they didn't Possess, and here's the problem: they were supposed to be exemplifying what God is like. That's what that was the purpose of the Old Testament law. Uh, and and uh, uh, the, instead of exemplifying what God is like, they just faked it. And instead of possessing the inner qualities of mercy and love and justice, they just practiced the externals. And they were all about these external things rules and rituals and appearances, and they tried to appear loving, and they tried to appear devoted, and they tried to appear just, but instead it was really just fake. It was pretend. And that made Jesus mad. He saved his harshest words for people who faked their morality. He saved his harshest words for people like this. If you want to read, if you want, you want to know what kind of good company you're in, you could read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. That early, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I mean, Jesus lambasts these uh, Pharisees and scribes. And then you get to places like Matthew chapter 23. I mean, that reads like a. Uh, you, you ought to read the whole chapter here 's a little sampling from Matthew chapter twenty three A lot of the chapter is is like this here 's what it says: uh, "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees now you 'll notice this phrase each time, "Woe to you like look out, you guys are in trouble. Teachers of the law and Pharisees that 's who he 's getting after. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites." You give a tenth of your spices, all this outward performance. You give a tenth, they tithe on their spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice and mercy and, and uh, faithfulness. See the ex- emphasis on the external instead of the internal? Uh, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And he goes on. Woe to you, new subject, but the same people. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside. See this inside-outside thing? Clean the inside of the cup and the dish. And then the outside will also be clean. And then one more time, and this is just a sampling. This is just a sampling. One more time. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus didn't have any tolerance for people who faked it. On the outside and on the inside, Had no, there was no correspondence between their heart and their outward behavior. Not even in their desires. There was just no correspondence. And Jesus, Jesus didn't tolerate it. It made a mockery of God's own character qualities of love and justice and mercy. Jesus didn't tolerate it. And so you're right to be annoyed by it. And the church shouldn't tolerate it either. And that the church shouldn't tolerate it, uh, pretending to have virtues you don't have, faking morality, practicing outward religiosity when we, uh, while we still at the same time outward religiosity while we still practice unloving behavior, that kind of of uh, contradiction, the church. It should be unacceptable in the church. It should be unacceptable for Jesus' followers. If you're an authentic Jesus follower, this should be as unacceptable to you as the person on the outside saying the church is full of hypocrites. This is something the church shouldn't tolerate either. That's why the church has actually, if you're a critic of Christians and you say Christians are hypocrites, you might be interested to know that the church has mechanisms for dealing with hypocrisy the church actually has mechanisms for this because it's not acceptable in the faith family to practice outward behavior that doesn't correspond with inner reality. That's why the church has standards for leaders in places like 1st Timothy. Places where uh, Jesus followers, uh, leaders, are supposed to model certain kinds of inner qualities. It's not external behaviors, but inner qualities. Uh... That's why the church has a process. I'm talking about the New Testament church. In the Bible, there's a process for that's spelled out for dealing with uh, leaders who betray their trust. There is a process for dealing with that. Uh, that's why the church actually has a process for dealing with church uh, members who are, who are faking their morality. There's a process, a mechanism in the church called church discipline. And church discipline is a mechanism for dealing with people who claim to be Jesus followers. I I see that. I don't, I can't read that, Mark. What's that say? Handheld. Got it. Just, you don't even have to write on that piece of paper. You just hold up a piece of paper, and I I will know there's a problem. (laughs) Thanks. All right. I knew we were having some kind of trouble. So the church has a mechanism for dealing with hypocrisy, and it's called church discipline. And church discipline is a a method by which the church sees someone who's part of their faith family, who is faking their morality. There's no correspondence between their outward claims and their, their, their behavior, their inner qualities. And the church has a way of dealing with that because hypocrisy is not acceptable. Now, that might also bother you. You might now say uh, uh, Christians are hypocrites and the church is judgmental. All right, but I want to I want to point out to you that you can't have both of those at the same time. You can't say that Christians are hypocrites and, and the church, when they deal with hypocrites, they're being judgmental. That may just indicate that that, that you're not being an honest evaluator of the whole situation, and you're just trying to find a reason not to follow Jesus. So, uh, one one other point, you know, that kind of points out this inconsistency, and I'm not exactly sure where it fits, but it fits in here somewhere. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, I, I don't know what you think about his politics. I'll tell you, I don't like anybody's politics right now, so that leaves me off the hook. But as far as a vice president, uh, as far as a Christian, Mike Pence is supposed to be a pretty stand-up Jesus follower, authentic and real. And he got in trouble on the Internet about a month ago for, for w- when people found out that because he wants to be faithful to his wife, he doesn't allow himself to have lunch or private meetings with another woman, just he and another woman. And actually, that's a practice that a lot of pastors, myself included, practice because they want to honor their marriage. But boy, when the internet found out that here's a guy who's afraid to have lunch with another woman because she might be a temptress, you know, they just made fun of him. And and it's kind of the age we live in that it's hard to tell what an honest objection is because on the one hand, people who violate their principles are hypocrites. On the other hand, people who try hard to honor their principles are Superior and whatever, you know, so we have to be honest in this conversation If We're going to look at real issues. Let's be honest about the issues and let's say all right Christians are hypocrites if someone is pretending to have a character quality that they Don't possess if they're faking their morality, then that is hypocrisy. Jesus hates it The church should hate it. The church has a mechanism for dealing with it And it's not acceptable so what I would say is that the person who is, is uh, interested in checking boxes of ritual performance and outward actions and not concerned about the inner quality of their heart, that they're not, authentic, they're not authentically following Jesus and you have a right as a, as a person evaluating that to say that's not right because you're right, that isn't right. So, if you don't like hypocrisy, you're in good company. Faking virtue is something that Jesus hated too. People who fake virtue aren't following Jesus. But there's another part of that definition also. So we had two parts of this definition. We have to talk about both of these parts. And uh, the first part we just addressed. A person who pretends to have virtues that they don't actually possess. Here's the second part. A person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs. A person who acts in contradiction to what they say they believe. And if you say that the church is full of these people, people if you say the church is full of people who act in contradiction to their stated beliefs, then you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. The church is full of people who act in contradiction to their stated beliefs, only we don't call them hypocrites. We call them church members. We call them you and me because we are people who don't act according to our stated beliefs probably every day. Because just because a person is a Jesus follower, just because a person says that they follow Jesus doesn't mean that they live in a way that is perfectly consistent with that. If you look at Jesus' standards, I mean, Jesus' standards are pretty high. Jesus has some pretty remarkable standards, and just because you become a Jesus follower doesn't automatically enable a person to obey all the things that Jesus taught. Even though that is the aspiration of every Jesus follower, and it's the mission of every church to equip people to, to, to be able to carry out everything that Jesus uh, taught, we don't do it perfectly. And even though we believe that at the moment a person turns to Jesus, that a spiritual transaction takes place, that they become adopted into God's family, that they're given a new, they're they're turned into a new person, they're given a new identity, and, and God's Spirit actually comes and indwells them. God actually comes and lives in them, even though all that happens at the moment a person turns to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, even though all that happens, it doesn't make them a perfect Jesus follower. It doesn't make me a perfect Jesus follower. And uh, it's definitely true of the Jesus followers that you read about in the Bible. You read your Bible, you read your New Testament, talk about hypocrites. I mean, you talk about a bunch of people who said one thing and lived another. Just read your New Testament. Peter, everybody's hero. You know why everybody loves Peter? Because a lot of times he acted contrary to his state of beliefs in ways that we can all identify with. I mean, Peter, the night that Jesus was betrayed, three times denied that he was even a Jesus follower. Let's talk about a hypocrite. And then one of those times he even let loose into this big, uh, big uh, profane dismissal of, of Jesus and his association with him and used words just to prove that no one could talk like this and follow Jesus. And hypocrite. And then you read in the book of Galatians, you see Peter doing the same thing again, in a different way. He's hypocritical. He's, he's uh, dealing one way and teaching one thing to one group of Jesus' followers. And then changing the rules a little bit for another group of Jesus' followers. And acting in a way that's inconsistent to the point that Paul actually has to come to Peter and to his face say, You're wrong to do that. Paul had to do that. And talk about a hypocrite. Paul. Paul's a hypocrite. I mean, what a hypocrite. He says in Romans 7, he he acknowledges his own hypocrisy. In Romans chapter 7, he says this about his own failure to uh, live in the way that God has called him to live. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. So the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. I really do. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Every Jesus follower can identify with that every Jesus follower can identify with you know what there are things I want to do there are ways I want to live and I just find myself falling short of that that's that's a common experience for Jesus followers if your definition of a hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her state of beliefs then yeah the church is full of hypocrites, and chances are you might be a hypocrite too because you probably don't act in, consistently with your own stated beliefs. And so, yes, you'll probably find a lot of this kind of hypocrite in the church. We even, and, and, and we don't deny it, we even sing about it. We have a song that's part of our hymn tradition, that Christians of all kinds of denominations will sing, that has a line in it that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We sing about our own proneness to wander. And what complicates it even more is that, is that uh, the church kind of attracts people who are prone to wander. I mean, the church has a way of attracting people who are kind of bad apples sometimes. The church has a way of doing that. I had a professor in seminary who said, where there's light, there's bugs. You know, uh, (laughs) that there are people with dysfunction who find themselves attracted to churches in the same way that there are people who are sick who find themselves disproportionately represented In a hospital. I mean, that makes sense because the business of the hospital is helping sick people and the business of the church is helping people who have issues. And God can only work in the life of a person who is willing to admit their dysfunction. God can only really work in the life of a person who is willing to admit the gap that exists between them and the life they want to have. And often... It's the person who has dysfunction in their life who is able to acknowledge that better than the person who has their life together. Which brings up uh, another point. That when you judge a Jesus follower, you look at another Jesus follower and you say, wow, are they ever failing at at following Jesus? You don't really know all all the life issues that play into that person's own story. And a person who makes a good point of that is Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God. And I want to read a couple paragraphs out of that. Here's what, here's what Tim Keller says. He says, listen, the big idea here is be careful when you look at someone else and you say, wow, they're a lousy Jesus follower. I would never follow Jesus because of them. He says, you don't really know what kinds of things make up their story. Good character is largely attributable To a loving, safe, and stable family and social environment, conditions for which we were not responsible. What he's saying here is that if you see someone who is socially functional, it's not because they became a Christian that made them socially functional, that often it's just good parents. These parents may not have even believed in God, but they knew how to teach someone uh, responsibility and good, good character and those kinds of things, and that really it's, it's a person's upbringing in their family more than whether or not they follow Jesus that helps them become socially functional. Many have instead had an unstable family background, poor role models, a history of tragedy and disappointment. As a result, they are burdened with deep insecurities, hypersensitivity, a lack of self-confidence, they may struggle with uncontrolled anger, shyness, addictions, and other difficulties as a result. Now imagine that someone with a very broken past becomes a Christian, and her character improves significantly over what it was. Nevertheless, she may still be less secure and self-disciplined than someone who is so well-adjusted she feels no particular need for uh, religious affiliation at all. Suppose you meet both of these women the same week. Unless you know the starting points and life journeys of each woman, you could easily conclude that Christianity isn't worth much and that Christians are inconsistent with their own high standards. It's often the case that people whose lives have been harder and who are lower on the character scale... Are more likely to recognize their need for God and turn to Christianity. So should we expect that many? Uh, so we should expect that many Christians' lives would not compare well with those of the non-religious. That's interesting. That just that he points out the 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 fact that you can't look at someone's whether someone follows Jesus or not and make that the sole explanation of, of their ability to function or not function in our society. Think of it like this. Have you ever noticed all the hypocrites at the YMCA? I mean, the YMCA, talk about hypocrites. I mean, every time I walk in there, I see people who are 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight. I see old people there who can't, you know, I mean, guys in their 50s, in their 60s. These people can't hardly run a mile. They can't hardly run two miles. You look at these puny people lifting weights. Talk about hypocrites! Here they come into they they walk into a health club. What are they thinking? They not just a health club, but then they go into the fitness room. Talk about hypocrites! Is that how you think about people who are overweight on the treadmill or are old geezers just just trying to trying to keep their heart beating? No, we look at those people and we say, wow. They're not hypocrites. We admire them we say, look at that person out there. They recognize where they're at and they're doing something about it. Well, hey, the church is the same way. The church is filled with people who recognize their gaps and are asking God to do something about that. And if, and if, if you sense that, no, I think church people are faking it, You probably need to get to know some more people, at least at Trinity, because at Trinity we recognize we've got gaps and shortcomings and, and we're just like the people on the treadmill. We're like, we're like overweight people going to the Y, just showing up, asking God to do a work in us and continue what He began. So, it's true. Christians are hypocrites. Some of them are fake followers. They're just pretending. They're trying to fake on the outside something that they don't have on the inside, and that's a problem unacceptable. Many more are just flawed followers. Flawed followers who fall short of their their own standards, who fall short of their own aspirations. But you're right on both counts. But really, that's not the issue. What you do with Jesus is the issue. See, Jesus was not a hypocrite. He's the one person you can read about in the New Testament, the Old Testament, who's not a hypocrite. And what you do with him is, should not be determined by anyone else's behavior. You make the decision about Jesus based on your own honest evaluation of him. Jesus said he is the one God sent. He then predicted that he would be killed, and three days later he would come back from the dead, and he did that. Now, when someone predicts that they're the one God sent, and they predict their death and resurrection and pull it off, then you should probably give them some consideration. And you should give their claims consideration apart from how anyone else has represented them. You wouldn't let someone make any other important decision in your life. So don't let someone else's representation of Jesus get in the way of your own consideration of him. So I play the banjo. I almost brought it with me this morning. I play the banjo. I get an immense amount of pleasure playing my banjo. I am on a very short list of people who get an immense amount of pleasure in my playing the banjo. But that doesn't stop me. Now, if I brought my banjo this morning and I said, I'm going to play something for you. I'm going to play some Beethoven. And I got out my banjo, and her name is Beulah, and and I played ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. And then I went to town playing. You'd go home. That's Beethoven's fifth. You'd go home on on your drive home. You'd look over to your spouse and you'd say, that Beethoven, he is way overrated. I mean, what a lousy composer. How that guy wrote music that's lasted hundreds of years, I will never know. That's terrible music. And if you say that, and you come to that conclusion, then you'll miss out on some of the most beautiful music that's ever been written. Because you let one person's poor representation speak for the genius of the person behind it. And in the same way, my poor playing of Beethoven does not invalidate his musical genius. And in the same way, imperfect Christians should not keep you from considering the claims that Jesus made. He's the one God sent. He's the only way to a repaired relationship with God. It's by turning to Him and putting faith in Him that you can have a repaired relationship with God and that God can then indwell you and begin a work in you of making you more and more like Jesus. Not instantly and not perfectly, but over time you'd be amazed at the transformation that God's Spirit can accomplish in even the life of a person who comes from a, a background of great dysfunction. And we're all on that journey. We're all at different points in that journey. We're all just poor representations of the one who rescued us, but he is the ultimate picture of perfection, the ultimate uh, model and example for us, and he's the one that we should be paying attention to. He's the one that we follow. So that decision is really not between you and another Jesus follower. Don't let, don't let another Jesus follower make that decision for you. The decision is between you and God himself. Don't let someone else's behavior make your life's most important decision. Look to Jesus as the one he sent, and let God begin a process of transformation in your own life. Let's pray. Before I pray, I would specifically uh, challenge anyone here this morning who uh, really has has let this be their one of their objections to following Jesus. And the main thing I'd say is, listen, be careful that that uh, your your own relationship with Jesus is determined by what you think by how you've examined the documents the new testament the records of Jesus' life the things he actually said and and you come to grips with that and if you're at a point of saying all right I'm ready to put in my confidence in Jesus as the one God sent that's the most important decision you'll ever make And if you're ready to do that or you want to talk to someone about doing that, you can talk to someone here at Trinity, the person who brought you. You can call Pastor Chris or me or someone that you know here, and we'd love to have that conversation with you. Father, I want to pray this morning and thank you for Jesus, who is the perfect picture of non-hypocrisy, the picture of authenticity and perfection. And we are thankful that he's the one that you sent and that we have someone that we can look to. And we can know that, uh, that you're at work in us, making us more and more like him. We see big gaps between here and there. But we're thankful that that's what you've, you've uh, called us into in your faith family. And we pray for the person or the people here this morning who are having difficulties with that decision. And that you will help speak to them about the truth of who Jesus is and why he came. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.